Addy. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flibanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I, or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. We begin today with a stunning story out of Montana. You may have seen the news about the couple that has lost custody of their 14-year-old daughter over what they believe is their refusal to affirm her gender confusion, a parent's worst nightmare. Today, these parents join me live for an exclusive interview. Todd and Krista Kolstad have chosen to tell their story despite a court order demanding that they remain silent. America first learned about their play in a lengthy video statement that Todd and Krista felt they were forced to reveal to the world, and they posted online detailing what happened with their daughter. Here's a small portion. We're set to lose custody of our daughter because allowing her to be transgender is in her therapeutic interest and we are not following recommended therapy. Our daughter has been in the group home setting. We have had numerous meetings regarding our wishes for her not to be referred to as a boy. Our wishes are for the program to be therapy-based and allow our family unit to continue to have the right to parent our daughter as we see fit to maintain her care. Our daughter is only referred to there as Leo, he, and him. This is transgendering our child against our wishes. This is a medical kidnapping, and this needs to stop. Mm. They are here today to tell their full story. At the parents' request, we will not use their daughter's real name in this interview. Instead, we will be referring to her by the name Jennifer. Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait. A what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flibanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I, or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. 
Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Welcome to the show, Todd and Krista. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. This is a nightmare. Um, I appreciate you coming on to tell the story here. So first of all, it's shocking that this happened in Montana. You know, I might have believed California. When I hear stuff like this happening in Canada, I'm slightly less shocked. But Montana, um, this I don't get. So let's just start back with the problems with Jennifer before this. You, you knew that Jennifer was having some mental health issues before the gender confusion. Is that correct? That's correct. She's always, she struggled with bullying at school for many years. And she's had a few traumatic events in her young life that we sought counseling for and um, tried to help her as much as we could as her parents kind of get through those events. And just so the audience understands, um, Todd, you are Jennifer's biological dad. And Krista, you are her stepmom, her biological mom, lives in Canada, correct? That is correct. Okay. And she, how many children did you and, and Jennifer's birth mom have together, Todd? Five. Five kids. Okay. And so has, has the biological mother been involved in raising Jennifer at all? No, because, um, I have a son that resides with her. And at the time of the divorce, um, uh, Jennifer was with myself. And so it's um, for that reason. Okay. And I understand just from reading the papers, Krista, that because this will become relevant later, the, the times that Jennifer has gone up to visit her biological mom in Canada have been relatively few and they haven't gone particularly well. That These two are not close from your observations anyway. Um, she's actually never been to Canada to see her biological mother. The mm-hmm. biological mother moved to Canada and got remarried at about seven years ago. Jennifer, our daughter, has seen um, her biological mother one time in the last seven years. One time. And, and, and my understanding is that, that there's been some allegations with respect to that mom's conduct toward the children that have given you to some concern. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So the bottom line is you two have been raising Jennifer, um, since birth. I have been in Todd's life since Jennifer was about six, um, going on seven, but Todd has raised her since birth primarily as a single parent. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Jennifer starts manifesting some mental health issues. It's not uncommon. Um, certainly, you know, in today's day and age in general, and when there have been divorces and all that, it can just complicate a kid's life. There's all sorts of reasons why kids wind up feeling unhappy or depressed. And 
Before she said anything about gender confusion, how was Jennifer saying that she was unhappy? Was she saying things like, I'm depressed, I'm suicidal before the gender stuff? Never. No, never. She's always, um, she's always been very sympathetic to people that feel suicidal, but she's always made the statement that that's not what she would do, that she loves life, you know, and that she, she's primarily, um, struggling with bullying, which led to some depression issues with her. Okay. So what was the first you, what was the first clue you two got that now we've transitioned into something new? Jennifer's only 14 years old. We've transitioned into, uh, I'm not just depressed. I'm, I'm a boy. I think I might not be female. Um, I think from our church, there were some people saying, referring to our daughter as our son and um, some of the um, other people that are like counselors, that kind of thing. They said that um, uh, she was telling people her name was Leo and she was a boy. When we asked her about it, she denied it. And that would have been probably about a little over two years ago. Okay. So she was only 12 years old. So she denied yes. it to you. Did did she start to look more masculine and her clothing, her hair, that kind of thing or no? Not really. Um, she, we, we used to allow her to color her hair. And then she had an incident in seventh grade where she got into an argument with another person over her hair color. So um, we just said, okay, well, no more hair color for a while. You're obviously not mature enough to um, have different color hair as a kid, but she wasn't appearing herself as a boy. We've always let her pick her own clothes, but the way that we do that is she would put the clothes in the Amazon cart and then we would look at them and say, okay, this is an appropriate shirt. This isn't an appropriate shirt and, and let her buy what we felt was appropriate. Um, you know, she's always been a jeans and um, t-shirt kid, sure. never super dressy or anything like that, but never men's clothes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same. I mean, I, I've told the audience before I was a complete tomboy as a child doesn't mean you're a boy. So there, there'd be no clue there. I'm just wondering where, like how recently did she start to go more hardcore on the, I'm a boy and I want you to call me Leo. Well, there, there was, um, after what we mentioned two years ago, there was nothing for a couple of years. There was nothing to do with any of that. She was happy. Uh, life was really good. It wasn't until um, her summer job called and asked if our son could come in to work early. <laughs> so that's wow. where it kicked back off. And that would have been during this, I think, the uh, early to mid part of this last August, August 2023. Hmm. So that's the first you found out she was out there representing herself as male. I mean, that must have been quite a stunner. It, we it were was. shocked. Um, you know, we had when she had said at the church that she wanted to go as Leo, we had put her in counseling and um, we, we had a talk with her and we said, why don't we look at why? Why do you feel this way? Why do you not like yourself so much that you don't feel you have self-worth and um, self-value that you want to change everything about yourself, even your, your sex? And so we put her into counseling, having them discuss that with her. And she went through about six, eight months of counseling. So we thought we were in a different place. Do you know now whether that counselor was one of those affirm, affirm, affirm counselors, or whether it was a legitimate counselor who explored all mental health issues? 
um, they were not an affirm, affirm, affirm counselor. We we met with them prior. Um, this is someone that we we knew through the church, and um, we we were pretty comfortable with that they were on the same That's page. That's good. As we were. Just yeah, reading up on your story, I have to say, you two seem you seem pretty clued in on the gender insanity that's being pushed at every turn. I mean, I will get to the details of the story, but you seem pretty clued in on, no, we're not going to let you talk to our daughter alone. No, we're not going to uh, just ship her off to a state that transes kids with medical procedures. Had you guys been following this in the news? Because I think many parents would not have had the awareness that you two do. Not exactly um, following in the news or anything like that. It's just we have a firm belief that, you know, transgenderism is is more on the make-believe scale than on something that is appropriate for a child. Yeah, we felt, in in addition, we felt pretty safe from that being in Montana because the schools that our daughter went to where we live are fantastic. The, the staff is fantastic. The counselors, everything is is good. So we never would have um, seen this coming. You never would have suspected it. Yeah, of course. I mean, in California, you can go to school during during school hours and get cross-gender hormones from the Planned Parenthood clinic and the school will allow it and never tell your, your parents. Montana, very different story. So now we're in August and you get the call saying, you know, your son, Leo, and the work and your, your I mean, that's got to set off the five alarm fire. So what what happened between you and Jennifer We'll get to when CPS showed up, but like from August to when Child and Family Services starts knocking on your door, which would be this past fall, what was going on? It was really just a matter of a couple of days. So we we had we had discussed Todd and I that she probably school had was going to start that Monday, I believe the twenty first. It could have been Tuesday the twenty second, but school was about to start in a few days. And Todd and I had discussed that. We felt she needed to focus on going into ninth grade, having a clean slate this year and kind of getting on track. So we wanted her to quit her summer job, but we we discussed with her, you if you're doing great by the Christmas semester, you can go back and, and work one or two days a week and we'll incorporate it into your school year. We just want you to stop and focus on school right now. At that point, she was very, very angry with us and didn't agree with us, of course, and um, made the statements to another child that she she met at a track meet that um she had wanted to kill herself and that's when the whole thing kicked off so it was really like that day when children's services okay. got involved with us well and what day is that august 18th okay because in the affidavit that they submitted child and family services there they say someone called them concerned about jennifer do we know who that was I do know who that was. Yeah, it was the child that she was making these statements to. Mm, okay, that, that makes sense. So the next thing you know, um, it, it was the first sign of serious trouble you had in the moments leading up to this hospitalization and the removal of Jennifer, that Division of Child and Family Services showed up? Was that what happened that day to clue you in? Like, oh my God, we've gone to DEFCON 1? Or was it Jennifer coming to you both saying, no, it's really escalated now. I'm I'm suicidal. Like, what happened that day to tell you it was getting bad? That particular day, um, she was. We we're having a good day at home. We had friends and um, employees over at our house, and it was nice out. And we just brought back a, a new small Aussie Shepherd dog. And so she was happy that day. But at the same point, um, you could tell there was maybe a little bit 
something wrong, but she was happy and she was in and out of the house a lot. Um, but we, nothing to be alarmed about. Um, okay. However, and then what happened? So then at, it was exactly 148 because I, I, I keep a pretty detailed timeline of the events. An officer called us from our local police department and said that our daughter had made statements to another child that she had wanted to kill herself. And how did we feel about that? Did we feel that she was safe? So while I was on the phone with this officer, I walked down the hallway to Jennifer's room and I spoke to her and I said, you know, th this is going on, this police officer's on the phone. How do you feel about, like, what's going on here? How do you feel about this? How, where are you at, you know? And she, she presented us fine. She was mad at us and we knew she was mad at us, but she, she made no remarks like, well, I am going to kill myself. She didn't say anything like that. So the police officer was on the phone with me. He could hear the conversation and he, you know, I stepped back in the other room and I told him that I would keep an eye on her. If I felt there was danger, I would definitely transport her to the hospital and keep in touch with authorities. And that was at 148. At approximately 7.40 that evening is when Children's Services came to our house because they said the police officer could not um, speak to the child or lay eyes on the child, even though he had never asked to do that. Mm. This is still in August, this past August. So Yep, that was August 18th. Yes. Why was she mad that day? What was the fight about? She, go ahead. She, she didn't want to quit her summer job. And in oh, hindsight, okay. looking yeah, at it. It was all the same day. This she, was all... Because um, in hindsight, the way to understand that the easiest is she had kind of built, in hindsight, we didn't know this at the time, but she had kind of built a little mini environment, I think, where she worked, where everybody knew her as a boy named Leo. And that world was imploding with school starting. And she already had anxieties about starting school that year. So but even though mm -hmm. she was a really good student, very high grades and everything. Mm. Okay. So she was mad that she wasn't gonna be able to go back there. And mm. the next thing you know, at seven, whatever that evening, CPS shows up. And Krista, were you were you both there? Were, were you there too, Todd? Yes, us and we had um, friends over too. We, we so it's gotta be very, like, I can't imagine, that must be very, very jarring to have Division of Child and Family Services show up and start questioning yeah. your parenting and whether your child is safe in your home. You Have you ever had that happen before? No. No, yeah. we've never been in, involved with them before. And I should have asked you this before, but what do you guys do for a living? Like, tell us just a little bit about your regular life outside of this. We own a, a company that manages networks, does computer repair in, um, in both Kalispell area and in Northeast Montana as well. And, different, I, different parts of the state. and I recently retired as a mortician in, in Montana also, and I came on to help him with the company more. And what part of Montana are you in? In Valley County. Okay. So you, you're just living regular lives. You're you're not used to getting called by police or having child mm. services come over, but they did come. And what happened when they showed up? So when, when the workers showed up, um, like I said, it was about 7.40 in the evening, and I was making dinner because we had had a really late lunch that day. We had been working in the yard. So um, I gave her a tour of the house and I kept telling her, I'm like, I'm not real. Do you need to see every room in the house? Like, how does this work? I, I don't really know what you need. So I even took her into our personal bathroom and bedroom. 
um, we renovated and we had an apartment downstairs that was empty at the time. And I showed her that, took her all through that. And she was like, yeah, okay, well, this is, this is good. This is great. And then she had said she wanted to talk to our daughter and um, she wanted to talk to her alone. And I wasn't real sure what the procedures were. So at first I said, oh, okay. And they went out on the front porch and began talking. And then after about 10 minutes or so, I was like, I don't know that I feel okay with this. Like this feels weird and wrong and, and scary. Yeah. And so that's when Todd and I went on the front porch and we were told that our daughter had drank toilet bowl cleaner and taken an overdose of um, Tylenol that I, day. Okay. And, and we should explain to the audience why that did not send you into an immediate panic. Oh my God, what's happened? That, that, that wasn't your reaction. And, and it turns out you were, you were onto something in, in sort of dismissing that as the huge alarm she suggested it might be. Yeah, we were with her all day, so and she was happy. And and if she would have had cleaner, there would have been burns to her esophagus, well, something. And I had been working at my laptop at the kitchen table where the cleaners and the um all the ibuprofen and Tylenol and stuff had been kept. And so I knew that she hadn't taken those. Plus, she has a history of um attention-seeking behavior and telling stories to get what she wants. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had some parental inclination towards skepticism on it. And it, as I understand it, later when they brought her to the hospital, she was fine. Physically, they confirmed, I, I read in the affidavit from CPS, she was physically fine. Yeah. Correct. There was no trace of cleaners yeah. or medication in her system at all. I mean, so really, my take on this was your, your parental instincts were vindicated that this was an attention-seeking attempt. Um, she wanted to get their attention. She did get it. But, you know, in these situations, CPS has got to read the parents, too. And there has to be some level of trust. Who to trust? Is it this child trying to mislead me because they want a certain result? Or can I believe the parents that any normal parent, if they believe their kid had just tried to take a bunch of, you know, poison, would say, oh, my God. Let so she didn't read the situation correctly, the CPS woman. Um but what what was it that Jennifer wanted in that moment? Was she saying, get me out of here? These people won't recognize I'm a boy. I'm Leo. What what, what do you what was her ask? I, I think it was um, short circuiting almost in anger because her like I mentioned, her uh, world was falling apart there at work, you know, um, that she had built. So I think it was that because that's how that was the disorder we've been battling with her. I think it was that and a lot of anxiety towards um, restarting school the next week. Yeah. So I think we were battling two things at that moment. And I think she just saw it as a way to delay school. And I'm not quite sure what she was trying to achieve, um, get back at her parents. Well, right, as you mentioned, there's been bullying. There'd been conflict with you guys. And I read in the affidavit, she she admitted, or at least she claimed that she'd been a cutter you know, where girls cut themselves. Is that you don't believe that's, that? That's not wow. exactly. She did say that. Um, however, I think it's important to note that and I have the pictures. Um, she made a little tiny scratch on her arm the year before and she had an appointment with her counselor the next day. I immediately took a picture of the little scratch that she made. It was a scratch. It was not a cut. And I sent it to her counselor and I said, this just happened. I just found this on Jennifer's arm and she's saying it's because she's stressed out at school. 
will you handle this tomorrow in counseling? And they said, absolutely. So it was addressed immediately. Yes. Okay. So it's not like a chronic, I mean, some girls can do this chronically and in a way that's very damaging to them. Not at all. Not at all. And again, okay. I think it, I was more under the impression, I felt that it was more attention seeking at that point um, than uh, what you see in, in some some young kids who who do, you know, cut themselves extensively. That's not what was going on there. So what happened then? She's the CPS lady is saying, oh, Jennifer just told me that she swallowed poison and she took a bunch of ibuprofen, uh, that she's suicidal. I, I mean, I imagine at that point, the CPS woman is saying, we got to go to the hospital. Yes, she did. And for safety reasons, we said, absolutely, let's go get this checked out. We, we said, we don't believe that this happened, but let's err on the side of caution and, and go to the hospital and have this looked into and checked out. Yeah. Okay. And this is where the problems really began. Um, absolutely. So tell us what happened inside that Montana hospital. Do you want me to? Yeah. All right. So um, starting at the hospital, it started right in the emergency room. She said she wanted to be called Leo and um, be referred to as he, him. And we we consistently said, hey, this isn't something that we believe in. This goes against everything we believe in morally and our core values. And we're not okay with this. Please call her by her birth name. And it just that the emergency room staff was kind of um, at a loss at what to do. So when she was transferred over to a room, that's really, really where the problem started. And things happened like the aides would roll their eyes at us if we would say, please call her by her birth name. This is her name. It's not Leo. Um, further, they put an aide outside her door who began talking about having top surgery and how she herself was non-binary. So that, you know, we reported that to the doctor is like, hey, this is really inappropriate. We're not okay with this behavior. And there were some other aides who just consistently rolled their eyes at us. Um, at one point, a tray was brought in with lunch on it. And I suggested to Jennifer that she eat something healthy on the tray. And the nurse who was stationed outside the door just went, <sighs> rolled her eyes at me and inside real loud and yelled down the hallway, get this young man a banana split dessert. So no matter what oh we gosh. did, yeah, we were constantly undermined as her parents and as any kind of parental authority figure. Oh, this must have been infuriating for the two of you. That is so disrespectful. She's a minor. You are empowered by the law to make decisions for her. And as you probably know, there are huge risks to socially transitioning a child at all for a school to be affirming, for a place of employment to be affirming, because once that starts happening, it's very hard to pull them back. Yes. Yes, very Absolutely. much so. Absolutely. The nerve. So it, was there anyone at the hospital that was responsive to these concerns? No, we were pretty much told by the doctors on duty that we need to be more concerned about, you know, her trying to hurt herself than what the aide is talking about outside the door. When I said something about the TV, you know, she was allowed to watch any amount of TV she wanted. And they were like, well, we're trying to make her comfortable. Our more, we're more concerned about how she feels and her suicide ideation than we are about what she's watching on TV. Mm. And meanwhile, you're trying to get them to understand there are real reasons to doubt that she has any suicidal ideations at all, that this is somebody who wants some attention and is having a mental health struggle, not somebody who's about to commit suicide because of a gender issue. 
Correct. Yes. Mm. Okay. So, so it seems like at some point in this visit, how long was, was she in this hospital? From the 18th to the morning of August 23rd. Okay. So sometime in that five day period, it was agreed that Jennifer needed to go from the hospital to a mental health facility. Correct. And we were in agreement that she needed inpatient acute psychiatric care. We were 100% in agreement that that needed to happen. Where things really started to fall apart was we were told that there were six facilities in the state of Montana and that they had put her name out to these six facilities and we were waiting on a bed. Todd and I expressed that we would prefer Billings, Montana, because that's where we went often for some other medical issues and that would be convenient. Um, However, we understood it could be anywhere in Montana and we we were fine. We knew she needed to do that. Then they kind of slipped Wyoming in um, sort of nonchalantly, like, well, there's this facility in Wyoming. And at that point, because we were being so disrespected as her parents, we immediately looked up Wyoming on our phones and it, we're not, um, we're not lawyers or anything, but it looked to us like the same laws that Montana had in place that Wyoming did not have in place. And that was very alarming to us. Yes. The, Montana um, has a ban on the cross gender procedures for minors and Wyoming doesn't go ahead, Todd. Yeah. So, so Idaho, North and South Dakota and Montana all had the same stance. The only one that was different was Wyoming where it had just been shot down. So Casper, Wyoming is where that facility is at. And so, the, and we could just tell that even when they would say there's, she's next up for a bed in Billings, we could tell by their um, uh, gestures to our daughter that they were saying, no, we're going to send you to Wyoming. Don't worry. So we, that's what the gesture said. And so we, we discussed that and we said, no, they're going to try to send her to Wyoming. You know, it was what pretty, even though they were telling us something different. What did you we worry were, would happen to her in Wyoming? Well, we were concerned that um, we didn't understand that when somebody is in CPS's care, that they cannot take any, supposedly they cannot have any treatments or anything unless the parents agree to it. So we were concerned that she could go to Wyoming and get um, puberty blockers or anything else that she had wanted to to do this um, transition. And we were not okay with that at all. Mm-hmm. And a reminder to those listening, once a child goes on puberty blockers, 97, 98% of them go directly to cross-sex hormones. Once you've done that, the overwhelming statistics prove not only will you wind up sterile, but you'll never have sexual enjoyment in your life. This is what we're talking about. This is what was in the balance in that moment at a bare minimum, separate and apart from surgeries. So you were right to be very concerned about what would happen to her if somebody other than the two of you were making the decisions. So you say, we don't want her to go to Wyoming. I assume you said, we'll wait for a bed in Montana. That's correct. And our CPS worker said to us, and and she kind of blew us off. She said, well, you know, with all the facilities in Montana, we're we're pretty sure that a bed will come up in Montana and Wyoming isn't an issue, but if we have to cross that bridge, we'll cross it together and we'll answer. She made it sound like they would answer all of our questions and that we make sure our daughter was protected. Okay. But what in fact happened? So what happened was on the day of August 22nd, um, we were told she was next in line for a bed in Billings, Montana. Um, that night, Todd and I, we, we went to dinner and we were home. It was about 730 and the hospital called us and said that a bed had opened up in Wyoming and that she needed to go. 
and we were really confused and blown away and we were like wait a minute we don't know what to do who can answer our questions what are our rights here and the doctor said to us well she has to leave this facility because we're not doing her any good here she has to go to wyoming so within 10 minutes of that call children the children's services worker and the police showed up at our door serving us with papers to remove her from our care saying that we were unable or unwilling to provide her medical care. And that's just not true at all. Yeah. Wow. So that was the moment that they seized her really from you and said, this kid is going to Wyoming, whether you like it or not. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, and you two are sitting in your home that night in what state? I mean, feeling how? Shocked, helpless, um, crushed. You know, this is, this is our, our daughter. Yeah, it was heartbreaking. I can't imagine. It was total, total shock. I can't. And I would imagine you feel angry. <laughs> I would feel so angry at, at what was being done in my family. I, so now what do you do? I mean, you're not, I assume, a very wealthy couple with a bunch of connections to high power law firms. So, you know, what do you do? How do you even go about fighting this? So we were assigned public defenders, and um, I don't know if every state is like this, but in Montana, I have a public defender. Todd has one. Um, CPS has a a lawyer appointed to them, and so does the child. So it's kind of like everybody has an attorney in Montana. And again, I don't know if it's like that everywhere. So at that point, we were assigned public defenders, and everything just kind of kicked off from there. How long did Jennifer stay in the Wyoming facility? About a month. She came back to Montana on, um, I believe it was Monday, September 25th. Were you allowed to talk to her during that month? She, when she was in the Wyoming facility, the, the calls were monitored by, um, by her counselor at the time. And we were expressing concerns because they were at that time socially transitioning her. They were letting her go as male names, giving her yeah. male products, um, you know, things that we were not okay with. Yeah. So wow. She, and she was, they were reporting that she was having hallucinations there, things of that nature back at us, but there really wasn't communication back. We, they gave us incorrect phone numbers for the location. Um, so there's a, um, um, a, a lot of issues with that where we were given you inaccurate were, information. Were you allowed to visit? Did you ever go there? No. We we would have visited, um, but we were under the impression that we were we were not allowed to visit at that point. So when you called her at the facility, did you have to say Leo? Correct. They wanted us to refer to her by Leo, and then um, she would get on, and I know that the call was monitored by a counselor or the staff on duty, whoever was there. Mm. Okay. So when she's coming out of the facility after 30 days, is it understood by everyone she's coming home to you two in Montana? No. CPS then informed us that she had to go to a group home setting um, and that she would be in Montana though. Yes. Okay. But not with you. And what happened in that group home? In the group home, she's been socially transitioned 100%. Yeah, completely. Um, she's in a therapeutic school setting, and she is in the all-boys groups in the, in the school setting. She's allowed to wear a chest binder. She's allowed to only wear men's clothes, um, men's shoes. 
she got a haircut where she actually shaved her head and um you know presents herself as a boy she also has a chest binder um everything that we've 100 percent asked them not to do is being done do you are your public defenders objecting to this they're they're very nice people and i don't want to throw them under the bus but what they have said to us is um, really to play nice, get her through the six to nine month program, and then have her back under our roof and go on with our lives. That's not going to work. She's going to be transitioned by then. I mean, they don't get less dug in. Right. And that's the thing. She's, she is transitioned now. She, she lives as a boy. And how, how, how could she come back to her? They've destroyed our family unit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So they say the plan is for Jennifer to go to this facility for six to nine months and that she goes and she's Leo. It's totally affirmed. She's a boy. The, the girl, Jennifer, is basically gone. Now there's a Leo. Now you don't have your daughter anymore. Your family's been blown up. And is that, is that, how long did she stay there? Is she there right now? Yes. She's still there. Yes. And she's in an okay. all boys group. An all boys group. It, in the school setting. Um, the, the group home is co-ed, so there's girls and boys that live in the group home. Okay. And what is has there been an order that when she gets out of the group home, she's going up to Canada? Correct. Yeah. So at, on January 19th was our um our one of our one of our final hearings that we had. And at that time, um the attorney for Children Protective Services asked if they could release the child to the birth mother and then release the case so that Children's Services wouldn't be involved. So the judge asked some questions and our lawyer asked some questions like, have, has anyone seen the birth mother's home to make sure it's an appropriate house? You know, have there been safety checks done? How, has anyone investigated the birth mom? And the, and the answer was, well, not really, but we did ask for a background check in the Providence where she lives in Canada. But that doesn't cover all of Canada. So she could have been in trouble anywhere in Canada and it, would, it wouldn't come up. And so um, mm. that was part of our concern. We also have some concerns about um, just the way that her household is handled is, is different than ours. How so? I know I've I mean, I've read some allegations that you've made that it's not it's not safe there. We don't feel it's safe there. Um, she has an older child that her and Todd have together, a, a young man who is 20 now, and he's doing some things like um, tearing apart her home, um, peeing on the floor when he gets mad, ripping apart furniture. And she sent us these text messages asking us to help her with um, the young man. So we, we presented these to Children's Services that, hey, we're concerned about this. And their attitude has been like, well, we're not really concerned. They just want to offload her. They want to get her out of the facility and land her with someone who's going to be more affirming. That's what, that's how it sounds. Todd, have you talked to your ex-wife about this? I mean, is she, where does she stand on it? Well, very little. Initially, it seemed like she, when it first came up and CPS first came, we did bring it up to her. We spoke to her on the way back from Billings. We spoke with her a little bit about it. Um, to keep her informed and we weren't um there was no kinds of tension between us and her and her family there uh, we haven't seen them in seven years so we don't know what they do or don't do but um we try to keep her informed do you know then, um, is she is she an affirmer or is she more um, on yes. the same page with you guys she she is affirming that our our daughter be called leo and, and be a boy yes, yes. 
So Jennifer's in this facility where they've transitioned her to a, quote, boy. And when she gets out, she's going to a mother that didn't raise her and whose house may not be safe. And the parental relationship with you two is where now? I mean, what is it legally? What, what are they telling you? What are your rights? Well, we knew we knew this was coming in terms of the guardian ad litem had told us that they assigned that if we're not willing to call her by her preferred pro pronouns and raise her as a boy, then we're not going to like what they have to say about us in court. That's what they told us. The guardian exactly. ad litem is a court appointed representative for Jennifer. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So we knew that this was probably coming. Yeah. Um, it still is, is gut wrenching, you know, to, to be told that. And I think it's also important to bring up there's a form that we've been asked to sign for her to go to Canada that says, um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but it says that we agree that we will be separated from our minor child, possibly um, permanently, if she is to cross over into Canada. And I know about this form because we ended up in mediation with the birth mom in 2017 because we refused to sign the form for um, the young man that, that lives up there, Todd's son. So yeah. why would you ever sign that? <laughs> the judge's why would you ever do that? Um, we don't, it's not our intention to sign it, but we feel like it's probably going to be ordered that we sign that form. Um, it hasn't come up in court yet. It was just sent to us by Children's Services to go ahead and, and sign for our daughter. And we're like, no, we're not going to agree to that. We, we would never agree to that. The court did order that we would, um, uh, complete all the necessary paperwork to send her to Canada, though. So that would be this. Right. This have, is you, exactly have you done that? Talking. Not yet. Are you going we to? We have not. Only, only because um, we want some legal counsel on this form before we sign it. But as yes, far as- what the, about your the, appeal? Right. And that's kind of where we're at. Like, no. where do we go legally with all this? It's not over till it's over. I, I, I know you're, I mean, and now you're smart to go to the media because the, the pressure is increasing on the governor of Montana and others to take a look at this case. And I know he's claiming he had his Lieutenant governor look at this, um, and is not intervening right now. I've got real questions about how hard they looked. Well, I looked at the whole affidavit and I say this not to embarrass anybody. What I see in there is at worst an allegation that you, Todd may have an alcohol problem and that you, Krista, may have been, quote, verbally abusive toward Jennifer. That's Jennifer's allegation to the CPS people trying to get away from you. That's you don't take children. I'm saying worst case scenario, you did it all. It's all true. You don't take children away from their their parents for, for that. That's well, there are a I lot of alcoholics out there. There are a lot of right. moms who say nasty things. You don't lose your child. Right. And I think it's important to, to put into I mean, we've never had uh duis we've never had um you know domestic violence issues we've never been um i've never been accused of being verbally abusive to any of the children that were ever in our care you're listening to an angry 14 year old child may, sure. may i also say to that in those same statements she had also said that the church was putting her counselors were putting a real loaded gun to her head and then taking the bullets out that they even asked us CPS even asked us for help for our daughter's um, cancer records for when she was fighting cancer. She never ever had cancer. She there's a whole bunch of other things. So so CPS handpicked those two items out of about a dozen false crazy lies. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in I hindsight, mean, of course, in hindsight, of course. 
But it's interesting to me because now you, you've lost, right? I mean, is, has the court said custody is awarded to the biological mother? Yes. Um, the way that I understand it is Child Protective Services has legal say for the next six months and placement will be with the birth mother. I don't know if they do it before the end of that six months or if they wait six months. I, I'm not sure. And your ability to make decisions for your child is terminated. It, it's never, they've never really given us the right to make decisions for her. And so, yes. Well, to answer that question even better, how can we make decisions when they were, this whole time, they were supposed to be including us into any of the medical treatment of our daughter, what medicines they're giving her, flu shots, that sort of thing. They did absolutely none of that, even though we kept begging weekly for that, even through the court appointed attorneys, they never once did it. But then in the last couple of weeks from right now, for the first time they did but once um, the law once the courts got involved this yeah, is but the, god gave yeah. you the right god gave you the right to to make decisions for your child they don't they don't give you these rights that they, they can only take them away during in very narrow and extremely compelling circumstances and what i see here is not even allegations against you of abuse or anything that would rise to the level what the affidavit says is you refuse to affirm that's what they're mad about. That's what mm -hmm. Montana is mad about. You refused to affirm her, and therefore your custodial rights are ending. It's an absolute outrage. So what? So the court issues this ruling. It just happened, right? January uh, 19th. What was the date? Was 19th. Okay. So it just happened. And on top of all that, you were told by the court, don't speak out about it. Is there a gag yeah. order on you? Because I, kn I know you're in trouble now, potentially, for speaking out. That is correct. Yes, they they imposed a gag order, but um, we're not we're doing this because we feel like we have no choice. And as far as I know, we're the first family in Montana that this has happened to. And because our rights have been so trampled on, now we're at a point where our family unit has been destroyed. And the best thing we can do is stand up for other families and get the word out and not allow this to happen to anybody else again. Yes. What's what's happened with the governor? Because this is a Republican. Montana went for Trump, I think, plus nine. This is a red state. And you, and they've already recognized the dangers of the you know, transitioning children there. So why isn't this Republican governor helping you? Um, uh, He tweeted. I don't know if you saw his tweet thread. There were like eight tweets and they they really were, in my opinion, a bunch of word soup that didn't say anything. Um, basically, we've, we've never heard from him. Um, I don't feel that he's doing anything to protect families and to protect our family. He said he referred this case to his lieutenant governor and asked the lieutenant governor to look into it and then wound up saying, well, we did that and, you know, we're not going to do anything. He says, uh, let's see, upon hearing the recent allegations, I asked Lieutenant, Go Lieutenant Governor Christian Juris, an experienced attorney, a constitutional conservative mother or grandmother to review it, um, consulting with the director of Division of Child Family Services and personally examining the case documents. The Lieutenant Governor has concluded um, that they have all followed state policy and law in their handling of this case. I've asked her to continue monitoring the case uh, and goes on to tout the laws in Montana. So it doesn't seem like whatever he saw was persuasive to him. By the way, Montana is a plus 16 
state for Trump. Um, the Republican is controlled by a Republican supermajority. So why is this so hard? I'm looking. I read the affidavit. I'm looking for the smoking gun against you two. Even taking everything Jennifer said is true. I've I've told the audience the worst stuff. I don't get it. It seems like what's even been so persuasive to the lieutenant governor is the allegation that you won't affirm. Is please tell me, am I missing something? No, you're not. Because even um, I'm not going to give the names, but they're uh, really respect them. Some of the lawmakers in Montana that have passed the laws flat out said on that video in the comments that they passed this law, they passed the law and they are not following it right. They're doing everything backwards. That was right in the comments on our on our uh, video. And that came right from the, the lawmakers in Montana. So can you appeal this decision, right? I mean, there's this is the uh, Montana 17th Judicial Court, District Court. So uh, are you going to appeal this up? Yes, um, we're currently talking to a few attorneys that may take our case. Um, Call Alliance Defending Freedom. Have you talked to Alliance Defending Freedom? We are in. Um, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. It slipped my mind just now who we're talking to an Eric Sell with. I believe it's American Civil Liberties currently, um, and he's seeing if he can help us. We also have an attorney that I'm, I'm going to put you in touch with Alliance Defending Freedom. you got to talk okay. to Alliance yeah. Defending Freedom. Thank you so this is the group that that you need to help you. Uh, I'm sure they're going to pay attention. There's probably already paying attention to this, but you need somebody who's going to really fight for you on this. This is an outrage. And so now, I mean, so as you watch that play out, is Jennifer gone? Do you feel like, you know, the tether has snapped and and she's, you know, she's gone? Absolutely. It was a best friend relationship with her her whole life. Um, she, because we're both at home, and um, with her all the time, um, she she had everything she could want, everything she wanted. She was a very smart, smart kid. And we supported every interest. She was great at playing guitar, self-teaching her. Uh, and, and just well, we're So really... I feel like what Todd's saying is yeah. that basically, so. as I've said, our family has been gutted and destroyed by this. Um, even if they return her to us, and, and we certainly want her back, we'll never stop fighting for her. Yeah. Um, they've undermined our parental authority. They've taught her to weaponize the system. They've taught her that all she has to do is make up some lies and say, well, I'm going to take my life. And um, everybody comes running and gives her what she wants. So we've been totally undermined as any kind of authority figure whatsoever. And so what's your what's your message to her if she's watching this? Just that we love her very much. Love her very, very much and want her want her to come back home and uh yep we want her back home um you know we we're never going to stop fighting for her she's our daughter and um you know parent she's not a throwaway kid we're not just going to throw her away uh we all we wanted for her is when she's an adult that she has every option and every dream possible to come true we, we don't want her to make any decisions while her brain is still developing that'll take away all those options and destroy her happiness as an adult. We want her to have all right. those cards on the table when she's an adult. And in the minute we have left, what do you want other parents to know? Be aware of how quick this can happen to your family. Um, know what your rights are. Be very diligent on if, if CPS gets involved with your life, what, what are your rights as the parents? Ask a lot of questions, um, raise a lot of heck, just be very diligent. Yeah, that and do we really want 
uh, Montana or in America where any child can want to do anything, whether it's alcohol, gender transition, anything. And if they don't get what they want, they can simply just say, I'll hurt myself, I'm depressed, and they're out of there, they get what they want. That's what this, that's exactly what's happened to us. This is so disturbing. Todd and Krista, I'm, I'm gonna say a prayer for you. I'm gonna connect you with Thank Alliance you. Defending Freedom. And Thank I wish you. you all my best. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Thank you. Mm. Praying for Jennifer too. Really praying for Jennifer too. But like so many other girls, she manages to get out of this, this cult of gender ideology, which has sucked in so many, especially of our young women who historically have not suffered from gender dysphoria at all. What's happened here is deeply wrong. There are a lot of people to blame. And we are going to call the Montana governor's office ourselves to find out more about this. I haven't done that yet. Willing to hear what he has to say. But I bet you I can get a call in there. And I know I can get a call into these lawyers. So this isn't over. This is not over. Uh, and sadly, Jennifer will not be the only child swept up in this, nor Krista and Todd, the only parents who suffer. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Menzies of Rebel News in Canada is at it again with an incredible new report regarding five college-age men who are now dominating women's volleyball up there. As a listener of this show, you know it's an issue that we are dealing with here in the United States, too. Last year, high school volleyball player Peyton McNabb suffered a severe head and neck injury, resulting in long-term medical problems after a transgender player, a boy pretending to be a girl, spiked a ball in her face. Video of the incident sparked outrage online. And Peyton actually came on this show to discuss what happened to her and how the male player was allowed to just keep on playing. I was hit and everything went black. Um, my teammates and coaches said I was unconscious for about 30 seconds. While my team was huddling around me, the opposing team was laughing. Um, but when I came back to consciousness, a trainer took me to the sidelines and checked me for a concussion and told me I was fine and could go back in. But luckily, my coach didn't let me go back in. Did they pull the trans athlete, the other school, no. the other team? No, they didn't. So this person continued playing against your teammates, even after you were hurt? Yes. And she went on to describe the permanent damage she has suffered. 
as a result of her injuries that day. That interview with Peyton is episode 539. If you want to check it out in our archives, just go to Apple and look at all episodes. and You'll find it there, episode 539. So that brings me to David's reporting today. Earlier this week, he was tipped off about five male players from two teams taking part in women's college volleyball up in Toronto. His source told him female players have suffered concussions, just like Peyton McNabb. David is here live, but first, take a look at his incredible reporting. We were tipped off that this female volleyball game that we witnessed earlier featured not one, not two, not three, not four, but five men pretending to be females. The male players were always on the court. So you had biological female substitutes just sitting on the bench. Excuse me, sir, sir, why are you playing with the woman? Why are you taking away a real woman's spot? Are you a misogynist? Huh? You're not allowed Who are over you? here. I'm just, I'm just asking questions. Who are you, ma'am? You're not allowed over here. Why? why, why hey, don't touch, don't touch me. me. You touched you no. ran into me. You ran Back into me. Off. We got it on camera, oh. ma'am. Hey, coach. Coach. Coach, why, why are you playing male players? Coach, why are you playing male players? I'm not. Oh, they are. They're male. They're biological males. Why are you doing that? What happened to chivalry? It's not that Why are you filming me? You don't have my permission. Uh, we don't need your permission. Okay, We're in a public so space. Why are you talking to me then? Uh, well, you came to oh, us actually. No, you came to me. Uh, no, so you came to us. Why are you disrespectful then? Huh? Why are you being disrespectful? I'm, well, why am I being transphobic? Why? Shut up. Why? Oh, wow. I hope you can go rotten, pal. You wife. Wow. What happened to Love Trump's hate? Okay, so you're you're disrespectful, David Menzies of Rebel News, um, but you can also go rotten hell, you white piece of shit. Okay, so you're the disrespectful one. David, thanks again for your great work, and thank you for being here. So this is unbelievable. Five players across, this is college volleyball? That's right. Um, and uh, Megan, I just want to say right off the hopper, uh, that little interview clip you had with Peyton McNabb, uh, that's really rattled me. Uh, equal parts, the, the concussion that happened to her, thanks to a biological male spiking the ball, but even more so, the fact, the lack of empathy on the other team of female players laughing at a fellow female uh, getting hurt like that. And it just goes to show you, uh, you know, Megan, I've, I've said this to all my female friends and colleagues, the worst enemy you have right now in this battle of transanity is young biological females. They are so ignorant and so indoctrinated, they actually will chant, um, trans women are real women, trans women are real women. They'll get hysterical, they'll cry about it. Meanwhile, if you are as a female, if you subscribe uh, to that mantra, Megan, it's kind of like chickens in support of Colonel Saunders, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. It is unbelievable. So when that coach said to you, we're not playing biological men on these teams, he was lying. He, he's, he's of the trans women are women. That's it. That's the tweet field of thinking. It Indeed, Megan. And I get it. You know, you're a varsity level college coach. What do you want to do? Like every coach, you want to win by any means necessary, including cheating. And make no mistake, that's what this is. And I'll tell you, Megan, um, this is verifying my prediction that I kind of made in jest just a couple of years ago, but it's actually coming true. 
I think unless we put an end to this madness in our lifetime, we will see varsity level teams um, all around the Western world uh, where you'll have the men's team that will be the men's a team and then you'll have the men's b team those will consist of all the loser males that couldn't make the a team so the men's b team will be that team that once upon a time was known as the women's team it's an absolute disgrace that's right. You've got five players already taking spots that belong to women and endangering the women who have made the teams and have shown up to play in good faith. And at least two now have suffered concussions. And as I read your report, David, there's one, one of the men who caused a concussion as recently as January 22nd is named Franz Lagardis. You report hmm. that during a game at Seneca College versus La Cité Collegiate, He attacked the ball with heavy force and hit an opposing player in the head. This guy last year was on the men's team. Literally last year. Here he is. And this is his his team photo last year. We actually pulled his last year photo. And now here is his picture while he's on the women's team this year. Take a look. Nothing. They don't pose it. They don't post it because they don't want us to know it's a dude. It's it's amazing, Megan, but it's deja vu, isn't it? Uh, we covered last year uh, the fiasco that was um, Ash Davis, real name Tommy, uh, playing on the Fergus women's rugby team. Um, and the year before that, uh, just like this fellow, uh, he was on a male team and voted the hardest hitter on the men's Fergus team. Um I truly believe uh, we are catering, we're bending over backwards to cater to mental illness. And uh, we dare not say anything because if you are deemed to make a transphobic uh, comment, well, that's almost as bad as being Islamophobic. Actually, it might even be worse in this day and age. You saw that clip when you were running the the video, uh, Megan, of uh, there were members of the Rainbow Mafia in the stands uh, watching this. I don't know why volleyball is skewing so trans. And I was there with my camera woman, Avery, and that fellow, and I don't know what he is, maybe he's trans, maybe he's pansexual, whatever, he was... He wanted to slug my camera woman, and he was saying something very telling, uh, which was, just because you have a vagina, does that? do you think that's what makes you female? And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the benchmark. <laughs> but if you were born with right it, now, sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Wait a minute. Is it true how do you address that? that? And, and also the subtle racism there, you white piece of S, right? Unbelievable. Right. What does your whiteness have to do with anything, right? Take a seat. Um, Is it true that almost all of these guys playing in this volleyball league have done nothing about their testosterone? They haven't done any. They just declared themselves female. Not that the testosterone stuff helps, honestly. Like once you've gone through male puberty, it's (laughs) that's it. But they haven't even tried that stuff here. Uh, You know what, Megan? Here's the deal. 
even if they have gone through the motions, even I, I don't know what the international volleyball uh, ruling is on this, but I can tell you by precedent, we know from World Rugby way back in 2020, they were pioneers in stating you cannot play with female rugby players if you're a male. Well, Rugby Canada and Rugby Ontario is ignoring the, um, the rules of the international governing body. Why? Well, because, because of human rights commissions and tribunals. Uh, if you think you're a woman, if you think you're a man, if you think you're a lobster, so be it. We have to bend the knee to that. Same with swimming. Nicholas Sapita, the 50-year-old male who identifies as a 13-year-old girl. World Aquatics stated last year, you as a trans individual now have to compete in the other or open category. World Aquatics went bent over backwards to make a new category. And Megan, as you may know, at the World Swimming Championships last October in Berlin, precisely zero trans swimmers showed up because it, and so much for years and years of hearing from that community, accommodate us. We demand accommodation. Okay, you're accommodated. No, it's not good enough. I still want to swim with the real woman. I still want to change with the real little girls and expose my male genitalia to them. I think that's really what's going on. We are catering to perversion and women's sports, as well as women's shelters, and in Canada, women's penitentiaries, are being destroyed in America. Sacred too. female spaces are being eradicated. That when you caught up with this Nicholas, who now goes by the name of Melody Wiseheart, we talked about this last <laughs> week when you were on, swimming against 12 and 13-year-old girls, they're allowing him to do that because he says, I identify as a 13-year-old girl. Well, our astute listeners and viewers, David, pointed out that's obviously a lie because when you caught up with him, he got into his car and drove away. If he really thought he was a 13-year-old girl, he couldn't drive. Oh, oh, but Megan, you're so behind the times, my dear. When he's in the pool, he's a 13-year-old girl, but gender and age, it would seem, is fluid. You know, oh, it's so, so fluid, I see. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you kind of change uh, your descriptor uh, like normal people would change their socks or underwear. So when he gets into his car, he's back to being a 50 year old male, I guess. And this is a wonderful example of diversity, equity and inclusion when really it's garden variety misogyny. Yeah, that's the irony. Uh, let's just watch a little bit of that clip for those who did not see it. Finally have a definitive answer to where Nicholas Sapita changes and showers. It is in the girls' dressing room. I saw it myself with my own eyes. He didn't go into the male dressing room. He didn't go into the family dressing room. <laughs> Mr. Sapita, what, what is your deal? Why are you swimming with 13-year-olds? Why are you breaking world aquatic rules? Why are you a coward? Do you have a... Do you have a record of sexual perversion? Protect me from these people. Pr protect us from what? Where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> like he needs the protection. So two things. Yeah, Number but you one, know what, Megan? Thank you to our viewers, because they, they, if you want to email me, I do read the emails. They're Megan, M-E-G-Y-N, at MeganKelly.com. And then secondly, I would love to get your thoughts before I let you go, David, on um, what were the parents saying at the volleyball matches? Like, where, the, where, where were the parents again? 
Oh, yeah. You know, as my boss says, um, you know, if you happen to be, and that's Ezra Levent, uh, the owner of this company, Megan, if you're out in the woods and you have the misfortune of stumbling into an area where there's bear cubs and mama bear, guess what? You are now in the most dangerous piece of real estate in the entire planet. Uh, you're going to get maimed, even if you have no nefarious intentions. Mama bear in Canada is in hibernation mode. Yes, I speak to mothers and fathers for that matter um, off the record. Um, but there's two things at play, I think, here. For the most part, they're worried about being canceled. We have woke cancel culture. You have people with public sector union jobs saying, Dave, um, I'm going to be fired and my union will not go to bat for me on this issue. You have uh, people who own businesses saying, you know, the Rainbow Mafia will dox me and carry out a boycott uh, movement and I'll lose my business. And then on the flip side, Megan, I think you have some uber woke liberals out there that really do subscribe to trans women or real women, even if their own biological daughters are being violated, whether it's on the volleyball court, the rugby pitch, the swimming pool. But, you know, for the unholy trinity of diversity, equity and inclusion, this is a good thing. Those parents should be ashamed of themselves if they all took a stand like this. You know, the movies um, Spartacus, Megan, remember the Roman centurion is looking for the slave Spartacus and there's all these runaway slaves. And it says, which one of you is Spartacus? They just want to get Spartacus to bring him back to Rome and crucify him. And there's a pregnant pause. And then one guy steps forward and he says, I'm Spartacus. And then another one steps forward. Word. I'm Spartacus. They're not Spartacus, but all of them came. And the, the centurions are, are confounded. They don't know what to do. That's what we need. Either all step forward or pull your daughters from these sports. Can you imagine what a statement that would be if Nicholas Apita shows up and he's the only person on the starting blocks? It's a swim yeah. race of one, right? If if the um, if the volleyball if the female parents. volleyball is just three men against two men, make a mockery out of it because you know what, Megan, it already is a mockery. Yeah, right now these parents are hashtag part of the problem. I stand by what I said last week. Riley Gaines, she, let's go up there together. I'll I'll I can't swim. I won't be of any help. But you need to register to swim in this <laughs> league. If you can just identify as a twelve year old, you let's let Riley Gaines. Let how unfair can we make it? And while we're up there, I'll register for uh, the debate team against all the twelve year olds, and I'll crush them all. <laughs> It'll be super fun and super fair. This is the only way we're actually going to expose how ridiculous. This, you would think that Melody Wiseheart would have been enough, but it's not. Now we got five guys, one of whom was on the male's team six months ago, crushing the women, causing concussions. Canadians, find your spines. All right, David, lots of love to you, to Ezra. You guys have your spines, and we appreciate your great work to be continued. Well, fantastic, uh, Megan. I hope you do make it up here uh, one day just so you can see the insanity uh, firsthand. But one last thing I'll leave you with, uh, and, and you'll probably have a unique viewpoint of this being a 100% biological woman yourself. Where in blue hell is the feminist movement? I remember when they used to fight for female sports. I mean, you know, it wasn't until 1966 when women were allowed to compete in the Boston Marathon, they used to jump into the race and get tackled by police. And finally, the feminists did the right thing. And they, we have a female division in the Boston Marathon and all other marathons. Now, women's sports are being eradicated right before our They're eyes. On the side what of is men. it? Is They're on the side yeah. of these male 
posers, the ones who claim they're women, and we all know they're not. David, got it wrong. 100%. All the best to you. Okay. Thank you. Now we're going to turn to two returning guests to talk about this and all the stories in the news. Sarah Gonzalez is here. She is the host of the new Blaze TV show, Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered. And Josh Hammer, who is editor-at-large at Newsweek and host of the newly launched America on Trial podcast, focused on all the trials happening with President Donald Trump and more in 2024. And we've got some updates today on that related to Fannie Willis. Sarah, Josh, welcome. Thank you, Megan. Can you believe, I'm sorry, can we just stay one minute on what David just reported? Like the the fact that the Canadian parents are allowing it. And and I I know we're we're tough on the moms, but what about the dads, Josh? I mean, where where are the dads on that swimming story if some perverted 50-year-old wants to swim with your 12-year-old and he gets changed with full frontal male nudity in the locker room with them, and the parents are not having an all-out meltdown. You know, Megan, where are the fathers? I mean, that could be the title of a, one heck of a 21st century book, right? I mean, I mean, the decline of fatherhood, the, the decline of, of fathers' responsibility to their children, you know, from conception up until they reach the age of maturity and adulthood. Uh, you know, that has been discussed by some of us in conservative circles for a very long time now. Certainly my former colleague at The Daily Wire, Matt Walsh, I think has spoken and written at very great length about this, and I agree with what Matt has to say about it. But, you know, part of the Megan, part of it is difficult to disentangle from this broader war on manhood. I mean, I mean, Senator Josh Hawley, to his credit, wrote a fantastic recent book about this very topic within the past year, on. year and a half or so. Okay. It was a terrific book. I would encourage it to everyone. We need to recover this sense of fatherly responsibility to children. Easier said than done, of course, but the stories like this really do just underscore how far we have come and how far we have to go to get back. Yes, it's protect them. The little girls, of course, they can't say anything. They don't feel empowered to say anything. Even, you know, Riley Gaines, she, she's so brave now. She did not say anything when she was swimming against Leah Thomas. It takes a lot. And we know she's strong, you know, but it takes a lot to find your spine on this issue. And so what do you think these 12-year-olds are going to do? My God, be the grown-up. Protect your children. Here's the thing, Sarah. E- even in our country, as we see in the Riley and the Leah Thomas situation, um, we've got parents who are actively, or at least grown-ups, who are actively supporting this, who actually think this is totally fine. Go in there as a guy, show off your penis, compete against the women, and anybody who speaks up about it, they'll call a bigot. That brings me to my clip that I'm going to show you here from a woman who testified this week in New Hampshire. New Hampshire's finding its spine on these issues. New Hampshire passed a, a law already. Well, it's going to be passed. They passed it in the legislature um, about banning cross-sex medical procedures for minors. This is the one where all the Democrats crossed over to support it. And um, now they're targeting getting boys out of girls' sports. And they're taking testimony on it. So this woman shows up. <laughs> she says, I think she's an actual woman. And sh- listen to this soundbite. Listen to this lunatic in New Hampshire. HB 1205 is a bite into the pursuit of happiness of trans kids. Uh, next to come will be another crunch into the liberty of trans kids and adults. And the main course or the final solution, and yes, I intentionally capitalize, final solution is a drooling, snarling chomp that ends the lives of all trans people in this state and the nation. The safety issue here 
isn't largely that someone's cis daughter is going to lose out to a trans girl in sports. Statistically, the data isn't there. And it isn't that she's going to be ruined for life by seeing a trans girl's penis in the locker room. In fact, statistically, that won't be the first penis she sees. The safety issue is a straight and narrow path to elimination of minorities, trans people, queer people, disabled people, Jewish people, black people, brown people, and a tightening definition of what is acceptable as man, woman, and human. Oppose this pro-death to trans kids bill. Sarah, your thoughts? Well, my first thought, Megan, is I, I think that we can all agree after watching that clip that it was a mistake to eliminate the insane asylums from this country. And we need to bring them back because the idea that this many mentally ill people are walking around advocating for this and calling for this and saying all of the, you know, she had to include all of these SJW buzzwords in there is just absolutely preposterous. It is unfathomable to me that mothers, we are talking about mothers and fathers would sit by and watch their young daughters share a locker room with a 50 year old man. It is unfathomable to me that these people are abdicating their responsibility as a parent uh, in, in favor of these trans lunatics because they are scared of being called a mean name. It is incredible to me. They're just willing to set aside the safety of their children because they're worried about what their neighbors might think of them. They are they are the people who God entrusted to protect their own children, and they're just yes. willing to give it all up. It's just mind boggling to me that they don't see the severity of this and what it is going to do to their children. It is it's infuriating to me because I'm sitting here. I'm fighting. I'm fighting behind the scenes trying to expose this madness. I have to go into these places, Megan, into these all ages drag shows and take video. I feel like I need 20 showers when I get home, but I'm going in here. I'm exposing it. I'm doing it on my my free time that I have. Um, and, and people often say to me, well, I don't have time because I'm spending time. I, I That's my family time. I have to watch my kids. I said, I am doing this for my kids and for your yeah. kids, because I want to know that when my kids grow up, I can look them in the eye and I can tell them I did everything I could to stop this madness. And the fact that there are so many adults in the room who are unwilling to do so is just truly frightening to me. Yes, this this soundbite that she at the end of it, Josh, she says, uh, and and the, your daughter's not going to be ruined for life by seeing a trans girl's penis. Girl's penis is not a thing in the locker room. In fact, statistically, that won't be the first penis she sees that time. So this, you know what? Thanks to people like her, she might be right because people like her are pushing porn in the public schools, are fine mm -hmm. with these drag shows that Sarah covers. Like, I'm not, I don't know anything about this particular woman. I'm saying people like that who have that agenda are just fine with the sexualization of minors in the classroom, in the libraries. They're right. They're trying to get the penis in front of the young ones at the earliest age possible. You know, Megan, there are any number of policy issues in our national political discourse where I'm willing to have a civil conversation with my interlocutors on the other side. I'm happy to have a debate over what the capital gains or highest marginal income tax rate should be, what the child tax credit should be. I mean, we can talk about what U.S. foreign policy should be vis-a-vis -vis Russia, China, Iran, whatever. But there are some positions that some people take that there's just really no other way to describe it other than evil. And when I was watching that testimony there in New Hampshire that you just showed for, for Sarah and me, that, that really was the word that came immediately to mind there was evil. 
you're t- they're using all these buzzwords, buzzwords here. It's classic, classic leftist rhetorical gymnastics, Megan. You know what I think about as well? It's similar to, to for to for how many years, for decades, the left would refer to the abortion procedure under the euphemistic terminology of pro-choice. They've actually moved a little bit away from pro-choice in recent years. But what they're trying to do there is to obfuscate you and to deliberately mislead you as to what is actually going on. That is exactly what we just heard in this clip there. They're talking about affirming the dignity of trans children and, and all these various other buzzwords to escape the fact that what you're talking about is genital mutilation, chemical castration, and forever, forever injuring these vulnerable young children whose parents, per our previous conversation a few minutes ago, are apparently MIA, no idea what's going on there. And to make matters worse, Megan, unfortunately, it's not just these leftist lunatics who are saying this stuff. Unfortunately, there are some useful idiots on our own side as well. I think back to when he was then governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, who, who vetoed the Arkansas legislature with a strong piece of legislation protecting vulnerable youth in that state. Thankfully, Governor Huckabee Sanders has since signed that legislation. You know, Nikki Haley had that quip a few months ago. She then said she didn't say what it seemed like she said. So, um, you know, the viewers can make up their own mind on that. But we have to be one voice on this. I mean, we have to be, Megan, the side of civilizational sanity, if nothing else. And if you are not willing to take a stand as a statesman to protect your vulnerable children, your next generation from being castrated by vulnerable, predacious medical lobby and doctors and big pharma, then get lost and get out of the business of politics. Megan, can I add something to that? My friends, I, I urge my friends in the media. It took me a while to get here and I forgive uh, all of you for taking as long or longer than as I did, but stop using the preferred pronouns. It, you're adding to the problem. You're adding to the confusion. It's it's a it's opening the door for these guys to come into the girls' spaces and locker rooms and so on. We ha- you may feel rude. It's not rude. You're doing it to protect young women. Stop using the preferred pronouns, especially if you're a member of the media. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I was just going to add to Josh's point, you know, uh, people like Asa Hutchinson, who he mentioned, these people, I I had the opportunity to ask Asa Hutchinson about vetoing that bill. And I said, what what would you say? What would you say to all of these detransitioners who are coming out and sharing their stories about how the medical community, to Josh's point, are sterilizing them, are castrating them, are chopping off women's perfectly healthy breasts, and they will never know the joy of breastfeeding their their children. What would you say to all of these detransitioners who say that they were harmed by the medical community? And his answer to me was, well, they can just sue for malpractice. I, oh I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, Oh, so a bunch of money thrown at them is going to solve the mental problems that they are going to have, the emotional problems that they are going to have for the rest of their life, knowing that they can't get these things back. They are body parts. They can't just grow them back. They're not lizards. And so it just was shocking to me to hear the callousness in some of these people's uh, reasoning for why they don't advocate for this. It's just, oh, we'll just sue. And don't worry, money will make it all better. Oh, my God. Can the lizard grow back the body parts? <laughs> the tail, I think. The tail. <laughs> uh, note to self, that you consult Mr. Google later. Um, okay, <laughs> let's let's shift gears because I do, I'm interested in your new podcast, Josh. I think it's a great idea. Um, you're basically going to take a hard look at the Trump trials, the big legal news coming up over the next year, which of course I love for many reasons. And you're going to have plenty, plenty to keep you busy. Um, <laughs> so today there is legal news around the Trump trials and it involves Fannie Willis. A couple of things on her. Number one, her alleged lover, Nathan Wade, has settled his divorce proceeding. It's been going on for all this time. 
you know, the wife obviously was playing some hardball. I think that's why we know what we know about his alleged affair with Fannie Willis. And they settled. So he does not have to be cross-examined uh, about this. He was supposed to be testifying today. So, but that's not the end of the road for him because separately he has to testify in the, tr the case against Trump because that's where this first came out. Uh, where one of Trump's co-defendants in that RICO case Fannie Willis is pursuing against him in Georgia, filed a motion seeking to keep, kick Fannie off the case, Nathan Wade off the case, saying they're having an affair on the taxpayer's dollar. They're going all over hell and gone together. And this is like she's benefiting financially off of this prosecution. So he is going to have to testify this Friday. He has to respond to the allegations. And then there's a hearing on February 15th. So mark those days in your calendar. This as just something I think is interesting. Um, it's come out via the Daily Caller. She hired one of those press monitoring firms right before she filed this case against Trump and used $10,000 of the taxpayer's money to keep an eye on her PR and got an update, updates like the following one from an email from somebody um, internally, I think this was, talking about the firm critical mention and saying, while the numbers can be a bit exaggerated, it says in the last week we've gotten media coverage equivalent to 67 million in advertising. Even half of that value would be staggering. All of this makes her look terrible. Yeah, so you've got two big things coming up in the Fonnie Willis case. You mentioned February 15th. That's when you're going to have this hearing where Nathan Wade, among others, will be testifying as to whether Fonnie Willis is even right to prosecute this case, to try this case against Donald Trump in the first place. That's kind of the million dollar question right now, because you do have allegations and news bits, like you just said, come up. That case is, is totally topsy-turvy right now. You know, one thing about Donald Trump, Megan, that you have to say about him, he, he really does have the most cartoonish enemies imaginable in the world, doesn't he? I mean, you know, not to, not to jump too quickly here, but, you know, in this defamation case with E. Jean Carroll, this absurd $83.3 million in damages, including a likely unconstitutional verdict of 65 million punitive damages. You know, this is a total loon bag of a woman who was on TV on CNN, you know, saying how she has dreams about being raped. They basically had to cut her off the air. She has a, a dog, if I'm not mistaken, that she named after her genitalia. So, you know, Fonnie Wills and Nathan Wade fit right into that. He does really quite get lucky here. So as of right now, the actual trial date in Georgia is tentatively set all the way for August. People don't realize this. The actual trial start date right now in Georgia, I think, is August 5th. So if these motions and, and these hearings continue, that's going to only get punted back further. Trump really might get lucky here, because to be honest with you, Megan, when these four criminal prosecutions dropped last year, I was among those who thought that Georgia could be and probably was going to be the most dangerous of the four. But he might get a huge break here down in Georgia. And then on top of this hearing on February 15th, you also have the Georgia State Senate voted 30 to 19 last Friday to start a new committee with, with which they have subpoena power because they're a legislative body to investigate Fonnie Wills as well for misallocation of taxpayer resources along the lines of what you just said, $10,000 for some you know, cushy cushion of a PR shop. So it's going to get really dicey down there in Georgia. But if you're Trump right now, you're probably smiling in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, you've got the Georgia Senate creating this committee to investigate her and they can issue subpoenas and demand testimony. And you've got the motion and the hearing on it in open court on that co-defendant who raised this whole thing to begin with. So they're not going to be able to avoid answering the questions about what their relationship is and what 
they've used taxpayer money for and whether she's paying him a whole lot more than she's paying at least one of the other special prosecutors, even though the one she's allegedly paying less has all this experience in RICO cases. And Nathan Wade, her alleged lover, has none. All these questions are going to have to be answered. Um, In the meantime, something else interesting in it, Sarah, is the law firm that's representing the the Trump co-defendant, Michael Roman, who filed this thing and got this whole thing about Fannie started. They have um, sued Fannie Willis's office for alleged failure to disclose records. They filed a lawsuit Monday per the Daily Caller, uh, alleging that she failed to disclose the public records as required. They demanded that she produce, among other things, according to the Open Records Act, basically the FOIA of Georgia, um, any contracts between Willis and the state of Georgia and anybody hired to work on the Trump case. So they want to see the, the contract between her and the special prosecutor she's alleged to be sleeping with. And the other two, they want to see it all, um, as well as analytics produced by that media monitoring company that we just discussed, um, as well as copies of how how money has been spent basically by the office. And they refused, according to the lawsuit, her office has refused to provide plaintiff with many of these materials, uh, which are not subject subject to any exceptions. And they smell a rat. They think the documents they need are being withheld. What do you make of it? Well, I mean, full disclosure, I'm I'm no legal expert uh, as the two of you are. I'm just a regular old girl I, who tricked Blaze into paying me to run my mouth for a living. But what I will say <laughs> about this is that, um, you know, these people have no morals. They have no values. They call out Donald Trump for all of the, you know, oh, he's participating in election fraud. Oh, he's a misogynist. Oh, he cheats on his wife. Oh, and they list all of the things that they say that Donald Trump is doing wrong as if they have any values or morals themselves. And you're seeing this play out with the Fannie Willis case. Fannie Willis doesn't give a crap about what Donald Trump did. She just wants to be the one uh, who is elevated by the Democrat Party because she wants to be the one to get Trump. She wants to be the one to get that, you know, get that indictment, get that verdict. And so meanwhile, she's going to be a little bit sloppy, I would think, because these people don't have any morals. They don't have any values. We all know she hired her boyfriend because it was her boyfriend. He had absolutely no experience, as you pointed out, Megan, on RICO cases. He was a personal injury lawyer. We all know that it stinks to high heaven. And so it will be interesting to see how this plays out, because Obviously, we can see what's right in front of our noses on this. You don't have to be a legal expert to understand that. But what will be interesting is how it will play out in the judicial system. I don't have much faith. I'd love to get your feedback, but I don't have much faith in the judicial system right now as we see it become so weaponized against the American people, you know, against all of these people who are getting decades in prison, who didn't even show up on January 6th. You put your feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk and have to spend decades of your life in federal prison. You have these pro-life protesters who are, you know, could possibly face up to 11 years in jail for peacefully protesting and praying and and singing hymns. And so I, I don't have that much faith in the judicial system. But what I can tell you is that these people are so corrupt and are so morally broken. It's being exposed. Uh, they, yes, yes. It's about damn That's time. That's the beauty. It's like, thank God for this clever lawyer, uh, Ashley yes. Merchant, who represents the, the one defendant, Roman, because without her, we wouldn't know any of this. You know, Fannie Willis would still yeah, be yeah. parading around like she's she's the, you know, this paragon of virtue whose word we have to take it, you know, as at face value because she's the vaunted prosecutor. It's a no. All right. Stand by because there's a great, great story involving Mark Cuban and his supposed diehard commitment to diversity. Um, turns out he's violating the law and got called out by the EEOC commissioner 
It's my favorite story of the day. Stand by, Sarah and Josh come back in one minute. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are, no car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, <laughs> that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. So guys, when I first launched this show, I had Mark Cuban on and I appreciated him coming on and he gave me a bunch of waxing poetic about uh, how human rights really matter and you have to stand up for them in the context of BLM being spray painted all over New York and on his basketball courts and so on. Then we got to the part where he and the NBA are taking all this money from China and his commitment to human rights changed a little. He talked about it a little differently <laughs> than he did when bashing America. <laughs> I think Mark Cuban's not a bad guy, but it was a fun exchange. Um, he was caught and he knew it. Okay. So he's still out there trying to pre pretend that he is the chief spokesperson for DEI. And, um, this is after the Mavericks got in a bunch of trouble for like terrible treatment of women. So now he's like kind of pretending like, Oh no, 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 I'm the chief DEI person ever. And, uh, he tweeted out, he's been very defensive of it. Bill Ackman among others have been pounding him saying, you don't understand what you're supporting. You know, look what DEI has done to the Jews for one example. No, he won't hear of it. So he tweeted out just the other day, two days ago, uh, it's a long tweet, but what he says in part is I've never hired anyone hired anyone based exclusively on race, gender, or religion. I only ever hire the person that will put my business in the best position to succeed. And yes, race and gender can be part of the equation. I view diversity as a competitive advantage. Okay. So then enter the EEOC commissioner, one of them, Andrea Lucas, who responds, Hey, Mark Cuban, EEOC commissioner here. Unfortunately, you're dead wrong on black letter Title VII law. As a general rule, race slash sex can't even be a motivating factor, nor a plus factor, a tiebreaker, or a tipping point. It's important employers 
understand the ground rules here. It's exactly right. He has he has fallen afoul of the law, Josh. And she actually tweeted out this woman, an old article she had written right after the Supreme Court decision striking down affirmative action at the college level, saying, hello, this finally brings universities into compliance with what's been having happening or should be happening under the law in corporate America for years, saying the court has never blessed employers taking race conscious employment actions based on interests in workforce diversity. It's illegal. You cannot hire someone as a plus factor or weight the fact that they're black or they're Native American. It's a hard no. It's unlawful. And yet they've been getting away with this, especially since George Floyd, as long as the person not getting hired is white. Well, Megan, racial discrimination in America is obviously illegal. It is unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment and is statutorily illegal under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But, you know, it is ironic. And the great Christopher Caldwell of Claremont Institute wrote a whole book on this called Age of Entitlement. It's really unfortunate how the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which was a noble statute that had I been a legislator at the time, I would have proudly voted for. But it is unfortunate that the courts and the administrative state have weaponized that statute in unfathomable unfathomable ways, or at least ways that could not possibly have been contemplated by the lawmakers at the time that they passed it. And, you know, you mentioned affirmative action. It's very hard to, to not talk about affirmative action in this context. You basically had in the aftermath of the Civil Rights Act and the emergence of the affirmative action regime with the Bakke case at, at the court in the late 1970s, you, ha- you had the emergence of, of two twin conceptions of the American regime. On the one hand, you have the actual American regime, which is the regime of colorblindness, that we are all equal under the law, the regime of Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence, of Abraham Lincoln leading the Union to victory in the Civil War, of the Reconstruction Amendments, and then Martin Luther King speaking there on the National Mall. And then on the other hand, you have this other conception of the American regime. That would be the conception of Ibram X. Kendi of critical race theory, the notion that the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The remedy for present discrimination is future discrimination. And you actually saw that play out in the affirmative action cases at the court just this past summer. So Clarence Thomas's concurrence opinion, one of my favorite writings that CT has probably ever written on the court, wrote for however long it was, 30, 40, 50 pages, taking the first position. On By contrast, Katanji Brown-Jackson tried, I think she grossly failed, but she tried to defend that second alternative conception of the American regime. Those are the basic trade-offs. So for a while, we basically just have not been enforcing the letter of the law, right. what the law actually says, because of the courts and the administrative state. Good for this EOC commissioner in trying to reassert what the law actually says, especially after the affirmative action case. Mark Cuban, unfortunately, is totally clownish when it comes to these topics. I'm happy that you schooled him, and I hope that others continue to do so as well. I think people have forgotten in the wake of George Floyd, Sarah, that it's illegal to discriminate on the basis of race in hiring and in most places. You cannot not hire somebody because you need more people of a, of a different race. So your company looks, quote, more diverse. And here, in case you had any doubts about Mark Cuban's commitment uh, to doing exactly this thing that violates the law, is the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks in it's right after uh, George Floyd. Her name is Sint Marshall. She puts it all out there. Look at her. I know the business case for diversity. And you have to have a diverse group of people around the table uh, if you really want to be as successful as you can be. And so so we took that on. So we laid out that vision, laid out a set of values. And then I had one-on-one with all the employees and then made some leadership changes. And so now we have almost 50% women in leadership and 47% people of color. And so diversity matters. It matters. (laughs) 
we got to get rid of the white men. That's what she's saying. It's illegal. And it's just morally wrong, Sarah. And I think people have caught on to how absurd and wrong this is. I mean, you're absolutely right. It is morally wrong. But I would also like to bring up, it's a dumb business strategy too. It is entirely preposterous to think, I mean, she she just said the key to success for a business is diversity. Absolutely not. The key to success no. for a business is, of course, hiring based on merit and experience and expertise. I mean, these people are so ridiculous with their virtuous, you know, uh, crying for all of the buzzwords and making sure that they have all of these diversity hires. You know, why I know Mark Cuban understands the ridiculousness of it, because if he was truly worried about diversity in every shape, way or form, he would have a bunch of fat white guys on his basketball team. Why doesn't yeah. he? Well, because A, they're white and B, he knows that that won't make his team better. And so they keep throwing around all these buzzwords because they want to be the most virtuous among us. It's always white men who do this, you notice, uh, as Mark Cuban is. But I will say, I am calling for any white man who has not been hired by the Dallas Mavericks, file that lawsuit, baby. All right. Yes. Everyone needs to be filing these lawsuits to expose these people, because I think that's going to be the only way to deter them from from engaging in these practices. Yes, your case is made for you. You've got Mark yep. Cuban, the owner and the CEO on camera and in writing saying we discriminate against whites and men. That's the flip side of the way they put a positive spin yeah. on it. But what they're saying is we discriminate against whites and men. Think about how outrageous it would be 40 years ago for somebody to say we discriminate against blacks and women. We, we it's a real plus for you if you come in here as a white guy. It's, it's obvious when you just flip it on its head. But they've been getting away with it for far too long. All right, quickly, Josh, I want to ask you um, yet another plagiarism scandal out of Harvard. This time it's the head of DEI. I mean, here we are again. DEI is pernicious and must be stopped. <laughs> so she, according to the Free Beacon, which did a big report, uh, her name is Sherry Ann Charleston, appears to have plagiarized extensively at least 40 allegations of plagiarism that span the entirety of her thin publication record. They're citing from a complaint that was filed with Harvard on Monday and a Washington Free Beacon analysis. It goes on. She took credit for her husband's paper, his research paper in a 2014 paper she published with him, but they didn't cite it. They offered it apparently as though it was new thinking, which all the experts consulted by the Beacon say that is research fraud, plain and simple. Um, of course, she's got a long history in gender studies and DEI this and that. So what do we make of it? Well, you know, quickly, Megan, uh, first, I want to make a plug for the writer who exposed this, Aaron Sabarium, who is doing just absolutely indispensable work at the Free Beacon. He, Agreed. alongside Chris Rufo, was the one who helped bring down Claudine Gay in the first place there. So go ahead and follow his work if you're not already doing so. When it comes to the subject here and the DEI officer, you know, it, it's kind of ironic, as a friend pointed out to me. That, you know, one of the things that, that you can't discuss when it comes to crime, Heather McDonald discusses it, but no one else does, is how the biggest victims of black crime are actually other black people. How about the fact that oftentimes it seems when it comes to plagiarism in academia, Claudine Gay and her, the, the other biggest victims of black academics when it comes to plagiarism happen to be other black people. It's kind of a, a weird thing as well. I never would have ever thought about that, but it seems to be the case here. Look, this woman obviously should go. All these people should go, and not just the ones who plagiarize, by the way, but we have to go department by department, bureaucracy by bureaucracy all across the country, just trying to ultimately gut this cancer from our higher education system. Yeah. I mean, is, is it any surprise that the DEI mavens at various places are, are breaking the law, 
plagiarize. Like if you get ahead for doing one thing, you major in women's study, women's studies or African-American studies, some made up specialty, you extract some $350,000 out of these universities to pay you to keep um, the right number of whites and men out violating the law. Yes, at the college setting now as well. And you get away with it unless people like that EEOC commissioner weigh in and call attention to you. God bless her. Guys, thank you both so much. Pleasure seeing you both again. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us tomorrow. We've got Newt Gingrich and Adam Carolla. See you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 